We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Chapter 15 As today we study a parable, I would say the most popular title people have called it is the parable of the prodigal son. You guys have heard of that, right? But it's probably not an accurate title. It's really more the parable of the forgiving father. It really is, because he's the one that stays consistent throughout the whole parable. We're going to see the sinful, selfish son. Oh, he is so ugly. The sinful, selfish son. But then when God works in his life, when he comes to his senses, he returns to his father and we see, you know, our God is a forgiving God, isn't he? The forgiving father just, man, blows us away. He puts a robe on him, a ring on him, sandals on him, kills the fatted calf and rejoices that his sinful, selfish son repented of his sins. And the father just totally forgave him, totally restored him. But then in the end, we see that the Lord shares about these bitter brothers. The bitter brother there, did he had a hard time with it. Lord, how can you work in that guy's life? I know him, and he's really not all that. Lord, and I don't know about this guy over here, but do you know what he did? And now you're saying that when he dies, he's going to heaven? Yeah, that's the way God works. I know a lot of times we don't like to share grace with other people. But man, think of all the grace that God has given you. And you might start comparing yourself to other people thinking, well, I'm better than him and I'm better than her. But maybe you're not. Because maybe you knew more and you messed up. See, we have to be so careful. God is so good. I'm so blessed. Uh, William Barclay said that this has been called the greatest short story in the world. And I think it's true, man, because there's so much here that says so beautiful. Look what we read first of all in verse 11, Luke 15. It says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now remember the context here in Luke chapter 15. If you go back to verse 1 and 2, you see that there were tax collectors and sinners that were drawing near to Jesus. And so the Pharisees in verse 2, it says, And the scribes, they complained, and they said, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And, And they were having a hard time with that. They really were. And so the Lord told three parables. He says, let me tell you a story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. Now the lost sheep and the lost coin, they emphasize God's sovereignty and salvation. In that the father, you know, the shepherd, God, he goes looking for the lost. You know, and there ain't no one that's going to get saved if God's not in it. You know, I don't care how great of an evangelist you are. I don't care, you know, even in all reality, how many hours you pray. If God's not in it, it's got to be God's timing, then it's not going to happen. And that's why, you know, the shepherd, 
You know, he goes after the sheep who wanders away in its foolishness. He finds the sheep. Because that sheep would have never come home unless the shepherd found it, right? And that coin that's lost in the woman's carelessness, you know what? She finds the coin. It would have never come back unless, you know, it had been found by God. And so it's kind of cool. The first two parables emphasize God's work in salvation. And maybe that might encourage you because I know there's a lot of you here You have children that don't know the Lord. You have parents that don't know the Lord. And you have friends and family members that don't know the Lord. You know, just, you know, just continue to pray, continue to love them, continue to be an example to them. And remember that in God's timing, He's the one that's going to go get them, you know? And so there's that sovereignty of God emphasized in the first two parables, but then it's not just the sovereignty of God. We're not like ultra-Calvinists, you know. It's also the responsibility of man that they have to make a choice, you know, whether or not they're going to follow the Lord. You know, and that's a decision that they need to come to, you know. And in looking at these parables right here, the Lord is trying to minister to the tax collectors and the sinners and the Pharisees and scribes. They have a hard time with it. And so the Lord basically says, you guys, you religious leaders, you're off. You're off. You are off. You are off. Let me tell you how God is. Let me show you how God is. And so he shares these parables. This one right here is so awesome, you know. The first one began, we see, with a hundred sheep. Then there's ten coins. Now there's two sons. One of these sons, we see, was a selfish, sinful son, demanding his portion of the inheritance, demeaning his dad, not willing to wait until his father passes. His father has this, you know, vast uh, farm, agricultural resources, and the father says, you know, I kind of can't wait. I'm, you know, the son says, I kind of can't wait until you die. Can you give me my share of the inheritance now? And surprisingly, we see right here that the father does. Look what it says in verse 12. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he he did. He divided them to them his livelihood. This meant all that he had. The word livelihood is used in Mark 12.44 where it says, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. The Greek word right here is bios, it's translated life or living. And it's used in John 3.17 of goods and possessions. And so what we see is this living is in the sense of the sum total of one's possessions, that by which life is sustained. You guys remember biology? You guys like that stuff, subject, biology? It was kind of interesting, huh? Life. The father, you know, he gave them his livelihood. It was his bios. It, it was everything. You know, and two-thirds would go to the older son, one-third would go to the younger son, and then, boom, what ends up happening? He takes off. He gives them everything. It's interesting, man. This guy right here, this younger son, was like a lot of people nowadays. You know, especially in America, we live in the materialistic society, right? I remember even when I was, before I was a Christian, you know what I, people would tell me? And I know this sounds so ugly, 
Because some of you were even more noble than that prior to becoming a Christian. But I said, I'm majoring in money. That's what I said when I was in college, man. I just want to make some money. Because I like money and I like the things that money can buy, right? And that's where this young man was. Warren Worsby said this, We are always heading for trouble. Whenever we value things more than people, pleasure more than duty, and distant scenes more than blessings right at home. You see, the father gave everything. Why? Because the son wanted everything. He was a selfish, sinful son. That's who he was. We find right here that he goes and it says right here, look again in verse uh, um, 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. And that probably means that he cashed out. He cashed out. You know, one-third of everything is gone. And he he cashes out. What does he do? He journeys to a far country. And there he wastes his possessions in what's called prodigal living. Uh, The Greek word for wasted, it means to scatter. It means to disperse. Um, Have you guys ever noticed that? Like, you know, you're like, oh, cool. I got my tax refund, you know, $6,000, $3,000, $5,000, and then it's kind of gone like that. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> it, it doesn't take long, huh? I mean, it just gets, gets scattered all over the place. You eat out a few times, you buy a little bit of clothes, maybe go on a vacation, boom, next thing you know, it's just gone. That's what ends up happening. You know, sometimes we use the word prodigal in describing a person who has drifted away or fallen away from the Lord, but it really means someone who spends money freely, recklessly, and wastefully. And just as a quick side note, maybe some of you are prodigals because you are not good stewards with the finances God's given to you. That's what a prodigal is. It's just someone who wastes money. Here's this guy, he gets the inheritance he goes away and he just spends it on everything. Wild living, parties, prostitutes, drinking, drugs, and the like. And so what ends up happening in verse 14? But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to his citizen in that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. The sinful, selfish son, he spent it all. He lost it all. And it just happened to be when a famine swept the land. It wasn't just a recession, it was a big time depression. He couldn't find work anywhere. And the guy who at one time had everything suddenly had nothing. We read right here that he began to be in want in verse 14. He was in want. When I read that right there, don't you think of Psalm 23 verse 1? The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. You see, when the Lord is your shepherd... You know what? You're, you're not going to be in a situation like this. You will have everything you need when the Lord is your shepherd. Not everything you want. Not all your greeds, but all your needs. This guy right here was living his own life. The Lord was not his shepherd. And so he began to be in need. He literally, this is what it means, he began to starve. 
You know, things got so bad that he went and joined himself. It says right here, to a citizen of that country. And, and it sounds weird, huh? Joined himself. Joined himself. What does that mean? Well, in the Greek language, it means that he forced himself upon one of the citizens of that country who was unwilling to hire him and only took him after persistent entreaty. Now, I don't know if that means he threatened him, like, you better hire me or I'm going to beat you up or something, you know? All I know is that, man, this guy was desperate. He was starving. He was totally at rock bottom. At least he was almost there. Because then what ends up happening is we see right here, he says, okay, well, I guess I can let you feed my pigs. Now, I know a lot of you here like bacon, right? You like sausage. And you're like, well, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But to the Jew, the the pig was the dirtiest animal. The pig was forbidden. As a matter of fact, in Jewish tradition, it was said that if you fed a pig, literally, if you fed a pig, you were at the lowest place. He was occupied in the most degraded occupation known to the Jew. This was the bottom. And this was where he needed to be. The very bottom. You know, and it's hard. It's really difficult, to be honest with you, to see people go there. You know, and if we're walking by, we want to help them, huh? And and it's hard to really find that balance. You know, one of the things that I find interesting, look again in verse 16, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. And I read this in a whole bunch of different translations, you know, probably like seven different translations, and they all said the same thing. And no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. And I was thinking, Lord, sometimes it's got to be that way, huh? You know, because we give sometimes when we shouldn't give. And we get in the way of what God wants to do. You know, God's not going to let anybody die until it's their time. He's not. And, you know, we need to pray and sometimes we need to give and sometimes we need to help people. But sometimes we need to stop getting in the way. Because this guy right here needed to be in a place where he could get saved. It's more important. His salvation was more important. You see, this sinful, selfish son, he was demanding from his father. He demeaned his father. He said, you know what? I don't care if you live or die. Just give me my money. And so the father obliged. He gave it to him, and as he gave it to him, he, you know, was praying, Lord, let my son learn. And his son went out, and his son learned the hard way. And there he is feeding the pigs. He got so hungry that he would have gladly eaten what the pigs were eating. And these were pods from the carob trees. They were bean-like in nature, and they were commonly used for fattening pigs. Again, although they were also used by very, very, very poor people, here's the thing. The rabbis considered this to be the equivalent of being in the direst of needs. You see, this wasn't cool for him. It wasn't kosher. This guy had hit rock bottom. Warren Worsby said the prodigal learned the hard way 
that you cannot enjoy the things money can buy if you ignore the things that money can't buy. And the Lord was trying to teach him a lesson. No one gave him anything. It was all part of God's plan. So look what happens. In verse 17 it says, When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. By the grace of God, we read those words there in verse 17, where it says that he came to himself. You know, most other translations, they just say he came to his senses, you know. And sometimes people just don't realize that there's something better. They don't realize that. You know, for a long time, this son thought that the selfish, sinful path was the path to prosperity. You know, the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, where I can live my own life and do my own thing. You know, he thought that this was going to bring joy for his journey, that this was the street to success. Or maybe he just never thought You know, I know that that's where I was. Before I was a Christian, I was on this road, and I was on a highway to hell, and I liked that song by ACDC. I did. You know, but the thing is, is that I never, I just really never thought about it. Okay, Manny, where will this road lead you? Where will it, where will you end up? In all honesty. You know, if we buy into the mentality of the world, then, you know, your marriage won't last. Your marriage will not last if you follow the flow of the world. Why? Because the world does not value marriage. So what's that going to do to your kids when, you know, you're not there for them anymore? Why? Because you got a divorce. You know, if you go with the flow of the world, you know, you're going to buy into the American dream. And you're going to think that you can find love through sex. And every time you have sex before you get married, it's like tape coming together, tearing apart, coming together. You know, and that tape is just has a certain bonding to it. And the more you put tape on different things all over the place, that bonding weakens. Before you know it, that tape's not even sticky anymore. And there you are, and you've had all these sexual adventures before you've been married. And then when you get married, you can't bond with your spouse because you knew better and you did it anyways. All I'm saying is that, you know, God's way to raise our children in the ways of the Lord and, and, and to realize, you know, what the Bible teaches about life, it really is the best way. You know, we have to think, where will I end up if I stay on this street that I'm on? This guy, you know, I don't know, maybe he never thought, but then, thank God, one day, man, he came to his senses. It's like the light flipped on, you know? He came to himself and he realized that God has a better life for me. That God really does. You know, there really is something better. The day came and he 
comes to his senses. And I love the way that he thinks of his father. And he realized, you know what, there was a better life over there. He said this, even the hired servants have bread, extra bread, and here I am literally starving to death. And it was more than a realization that there was something better, however. The more important revelation that we see here in this awakening is notice what he said and what he did. He said there, notice again in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven and before you. Very important what we read right there. He said, I will arise, return to my father, and tell him what I've done. I have sinned. You know, and that's important. You know, don't don't just kind of gloss over that. It's important those very words are important. You know, it wasn't just a wrong done to himself or others. It was a wrong against God. And that's very important. He didn't just regret his situation. He returned to God and returned to his father, willing to accept the fact that due to his sin, he was not to be his son. You know, and that's really where the repentant sinner needs to be. You know, these are signs of true repentance. Not that God owes him restoration. Not that God owes him forgiveness. Because a lot of people think that, you know, God owes me. God doesn't owe you anything. God is good. God is loving. God is gracious. God is forgiving. Thank God for who he is. But he said, I'm going to show compassion on those whom I will show compassion. But if the individual does not come to his senses, if the individual does not repent and say, I have sinned, there is a God, and I have violated his holy standards, then he will not experience the forgiveness that God has to offer. The Greek word for sin is the primary verb in the New Testament used for sin. It's found 50 times, and the underlying sense of it is missing the mark. Missing the mark that God has established as a standard for his people to follow. Do you guys know there's a mark? Do you realize that? And it's not a mark that you make. It's a mark that God has established. And we need to ask God for that grace to, to, to hit that mark. And if we don't, we need to ask Him for the grace to be forgiven when we miss that mark. But to say that I have sinned is so important for us. Not everyone who uses these words is necessarily repentant. We know that Pharaoh said, I have sinned. Was he sincere? No. Uh, We know that Achan said, I have sinned. Was he sincere? No. Uh, We know that even Judas said, I have sinned. Was he sincere? No. But David did. We can relate a lot with David, huh? Can't you? Because David, he messed up, but he loved the Lord. And, And God, you know, he doesn't see the superficial conduct of people. He sees the heart. And when you got a heart like David, 
And you're going to stumble. But, but you repent. And you mean it. God, I have sinned. And he had to do it when he fell with Bathsheba. And he had to do it again when he numbered the people. Two major sins. You know? And when you look at that, you realize that that's what God is asking. You see, the selfish, sinful son, he came to his senses. And so look what happens. In verse 20, it says, He arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The selfish, sinful son comes to his senses. And so he heads home to where he belongs. He heads home to his father. Now he's still great way off, the Bible says. But close enough for his father to see him. And when he does, the Bible says that the father had compassion. He had compassion on him. It's a reference to sympathetic pity for the suffering of others. You know, and aren't you grateful that God is a compassionate God? He really is, you know. William Cowper said, Man may dismiss compassion from his heart, but God never will. Make sure the next time that you see that person over there, they're a sinner, that you try to see them through the lenses of the Lord. And you're going to find that compassion will stir up more often than not. Compassion runs through the veins of God's reign. So what does the father do to the selfish, sinful son? He runs to him. He runs to him. Now, in the Jewish culture, older men didn't run. It was considered undignified. And some of you here, if I saw you run, it'd probably look that way now. <laughs> ah. But to the Jewish culture, that's just the bottom line. He ran to him. That's how God is. He's just waiting for the selfish, sinful son to repent, to come to his senses and to say very simply, I have sinned. I have done life according to my own standards. And I neglected the fact that there's a God who has his standards of righteousness, which, by the way, are for my own good. I've been demanding of you. I've been demeaning to you. But I'm coming home. The father, he runs to him. Now, some people say that he ran to him because he he loved him. And if I had to guess, I would say that's probably why, you know. But there are others who also teach that the reason the father ran to him is because according to the law, he should have been stoned. 
He should have been stoned to death. Deuteronomy 21. And, and who knows? And I don't know for sure, but maybe if the other brother got to him first, or maybe there was talk, if this guy ever comes back, you know what? We're going to stone him to death. Look what he's done with my father's property, with the prostitutes and the parties. According to the law, there should have been a funeral, not a feast. Some people say the father ran to him to protect him from that. All I know is that there's a whole, whole message of grace right here. He ran to him. He embraces him. It says he falls on him. And he kisses him. And in the Greek word, there's different words for kiss. This one right here means that he was kissing him over and over and over again. And as he, you know, arrives, the father, you know, gives him this expression of love. The son then speaks those vital words from his heart. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, it's interesting. He says, I want to be a hired servant. And he didn't even have the chance to really finish his sentences, man. But, you know, the hired servant would be the one that you... Because see, when you had your servants, you had some that lived with you, your slaves, some that owned you owned. And over time, they could be part of your um, family almost. You know, not, you know, you know, biologically, but, you know, you became tight sometimes with your servants and your slaves that you owned that lived there. But what he said is, I want to be a hired servant. I'm not even worthy to be one of them. And the hired servant was the one that would come in each day, and you can dismiss them, you can get rid of them any day. And the son said, you know, that that was where his heart was. But the father, he doesn't even give him a chance, right? By grace, we see right here, the forgiving father saw his son was done. And he really saw him. And he could see that genuine repentance had taken place. And so he says to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And what the robe was, the best robe, was it meant, we honor you. You know, he, he brought him the best robe. In those days, we see instead of giving medals of honor, uh, they were given robes. And then he said, put a ring on his hand. And that would be the signet ring. And that meant... You know, a, a, a symbol of authority. It's like the power of, etern- of attorney. I mean, just like that. So much grace is given to the Son that, man, the moment, the moment he returns, God honors him. God restores him to that place of authority. And then he puts sandals on his feet. Go get him some sandals. And in those days, only the free people wore sandals. Only the free people. Not the slaves. And what he did is he just totally blew him away with the grace. And then he said, let's kill the fatted calf. The fatted calf was the one that they would prepare for the height of hospitality, just in case, you know, an honorable guest comes. You know, and it was like, man, total, total celebration. 
As a matter of fact, it's interesting when they're when they're making merry. Later, when the son comes, the other son, and they're dancing. Do you guys know that in the in the Greek language, the word for dancing there is they're in the lawn. They're literally in the lawn, and they're all in the circle. You guys ever seen the Jews dance? They're out there. Just it's just a huge celebration. You see, and that's God's heart. What we find is that the God that we serve is a God of compassion, a God of restoration, a God infinitely unparalleled, abounding and astounding, a God of amazing, amazing, amazing grace. The sinful, selfish son essentially said to his father, give me what you have, I don't care if you die. And the father responded by saying, I'll give you the best that I have because I want you to live. You know, one man said it well. He said, God has a big eraser. You know, the devil will come and he'll tell you, you know what, don't even bother. Give up. You can't be a Christian. It's called condemnation. And he says, go away. But God says, listen, I want to give you conviction. I want to draw you to me. I want you to know that if you come back, I will never, ever send you away. I will honor you. I will restore you, and I will set you free. See, that's what happens when we come back to the Lord. God's a God of compassion. Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in mercy and true. I like Micah seven nineteen. It says, He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Matthew 9.36 says this about Jesus, that when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Yesterday I went to go visit someone who's incarcerated, and this someone has done things. You know, and, and, you know, even in us ministering to this individual, you know, things are happening. And, and you know, part of you says, man, you know, you, I, I'll just kind of, you know, leave him to the Lord. And, I, and, and then the Lord says, but what about the compassion? You know, and you continue to reach out to them. You're moved by it. And then you look into their eyes and then you see them. You know, and that's the heart that we have to have. Why? Because that's the heart that God has. Because when that sinner and that selfish, sinful son repents and returns to the Father, he will forgive them. He will restore them and honor them and set them free. And not only that, he will celebrate. You know, and what makes God happy makes me happy. Don't you think it should be that way? You know, I'll be honest with you, man. This last World Series, St. Louis Cardinals against the Texas Rangers. You guys remember that? My son wanted the Cardinals to win. And I kind of wanted the Rangers to win, but it wasn't that big of a deal. But it didn't take long to where I wanted the team that he wanted. Because, and I know it's just sports, you know, but I didn't want him to be sad.
And in God's kingdom. You got to know that the thing that makes him most happy is when we seek and save the lost. The sinners. We meet and eat with them. We reach out to them. You know, not when we get caught up in our little Christian cubby holes. We go out into the valleys and the alleys and the highways and the byways. And we reach out to the lost. Because that's what makes Him happy. And if that's what makes Him happy, then i got to do whatever I can to make Him happy. It's kind of like my hair. People say, man, you're, you're cutting your hair a little too short. People have told me. <laughs> and you know what I tell them? Too bad, so sad. My wife likes it. My wife likes it, you know. And, you know, no offense, you guys are my friends and everything, but I want to make her happy. You know, and that's, I was, babe, I don't want to wear this shirt today. It's my disco biscuit shirt. I don't want to wear this one, you know. <laughs> and she's all, wear it, because we'll match, you know. And <laughs> I want to make her happy. I want to make God happy. If this is what, you know, bringing lost people it does to the heart of God, then I tell you what, that's what I want to do. But to see, in the context of the parable right here, that was the whole thing that the Pharisees and the scribes, you know, they just didn't like the most. And they thought they were so right on. They thought they were so holy. They thought that they were making God happy because they were stiff-arming sinners. Oh, I'm so holy and I'm so good and I fast and I tithe and I do all the good things. And we're going to see that that's you know, not all there is to it, you guys. Because look what happens next. It says right here in verse 27, and he... And he I'm sorry, where are we at? Okay, verse 25. And now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. And therefore his father came out and pleaded with him, And so he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. You see, first the sinful, selfish son, so ugly, that's us. But then when we come to our senses and we repent, we realize we've sinned, And even though we're not worthy, we're just going to go home and let God do whatever He wants to do with our life. The Father forgives us of all our sins, past, present, future. They're done. They're nailed to the cross. 
And then He honors you. And He gives you the authority of restoration. And He sets you free. And God rejoices. The forgiving Father is so wonderful. But then in comes this bitter brother. The bitter brother, right? And he's like, what's going on? And they're like, hey, they're having a party, man. You know what? And, you know, right here what they're doing, this circular dance in the, in the lawn is what's happened is that, you know, your, your, your father has forgiven your, his son. He's so happy and is in this supreme celebration. Why? Because he's home now where he belongs. He's safe and sound. But for some strange reason, the bitter brother is not happy. As a matter of fact, we read in verse 28 that he was angry. He was angry with that. One translation by that Greek scholar, Kenneth Wee, said he flew into a rage that was the explosive outlet of a long-time resentment against his brother. It was a resentment that had been smoldering in his heart. So when is it happening? He sulks. He's there sitting, sulking, and the father comes out and pleads with him, literally in the Greek, over and over, come in, Mijo, come in, let's celebrate. You know, and he wouldn't. And what does he say? He says, man, I've been a slave for you. Why? Because it wasn't a relationship for him. It wasn't a relationship. It was rules and regulations. I've been a slave for you. I've been a submission, and you've never even let me have the smallest celebration with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he doesn't even call him his brother, right? When this son of yours comes back, and he doesn't, you know, he returns, you know, with nothing after devouring your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And what do we see in the brother? Bitterness, huh? Bitterness. Here's the thing. The brother is the religious leaders here. The religious leaders had all the uh, the externals right, but you want to know something? They broke the two primary commandments. What are the two primary commandments, you guys? Love God and love your neighbor. Did this brother love his father? No. Did he love his brother? No. Love. Not rules and regulations. You know, not all that kind of stuff. To love God. To love people. See, that's where we need to be. This guy right here had a lot of bitterness. He was a bad and bitter brother. And we know that bitterness hurts not others primarily, but it hurts ourselves, right? Um, I heard, I read about a rattlesnake or a rattlesnake. If cornered, you guys know this? It will become so angry. You should try this one day. Try cornering a rattlesnake, okay? <laughs> no, but from what I understand, if you corner a rattlesnake, it gets so angry that what will happen is it will is it'll bite itself. And that's exactly what happens when we harbor hate and resentment against others. We bite ourselves. We think that we're harming others and holding these spites and hates, but the deeper harm is to ourselves. You know, and the bad and bitter brother reminds me of Jonah. Remember the Lord said, Hey, Jonah, go over there to Nineveh. Preach the gospel to them. Maybe there's somebody in your life, and I know this sounds weird, but i got to say it, that you just hope they go to hell. Maybe you feel that way about the president. Maybe you feel that way about somebody. And you're like, you know what? I hope they rot. <laughs> I'm not going to go reach out to them. 
than God is calling you to. The Lord told Jonah, go to Nineveh and, and share with the Ninevites. And what did Jonah do? God said, go north. Jonah went south. <laughs> Jonah said, no way, man. I'm not going to go there. And when he does go there, after being swallowed by that fish that had been prepared and just vomiting back on the beach, even then, Jonah doesn't really give the greatest message, right? He's like, man, I hope they don't repent, but i got to say it because God told me to repent. God's going to judge this place. And then he splits. And then he kicks it on the hill just waiting for God to judge them. Remember? And what ends up happening? The people repented. And they and they called for a fast, and they humbled themselves. You know, and so there's Jonah, and you know how it is when you're in the sun, you need some shade. And so Jonah's out there, and he's, oh, man, I knew it. I knew that God was going to show him mercy. I just can't stand this. And so he's sitting there under the shade. Uh, what ends up happening? Then the little tree, it withers away, and he has no shade, and he's all bummed about it. And then the Lord begins to minister to Jonah. He says, Jonah, I don't get it. You know, you're more concerned about this plant than you are the people. You know, I want to show them mercy. Because there's people right here, they don't know their right hand from their left. And I think that we need to have that heart as well. We need to know that God, you know, He'll forgive them. And I, and I, and I don't even want to say this because I, I don't know, I don't know. He'll forgive the molester. He'll forgive the murderer. He'll forgive anybody. We're Lord, not them, Lord. He'll forgive you of all your sins. I don't care what it is. And they're all unique. See, that's what we see here. You know, the father comes out, and it's to me, do you guys strip out on this, how he's so gentle to the brother? He's so gentle to him in verse 31. Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Here the father does, number one, clarification. I know you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. Don't forget Then there's a declaration, listen, this is not a matter of his right or your right, but just what's right in God's sight. And number three, the explanation. Lost has been found. Your dead brother now lives. And if you don't celebrate, you're wrong. How about you, guys? How about me? Do I have a hard time when God blesses my brother? Some people do. Do I have a hard time when God forgives the fallen? May it not be so. I pray that we would realize who and how God is by reading this parable today. And that if you're drifted or if you maybe don't know the Lord or you're backslidden, that you would repent and return to God. And that today we would be able to rejoice in our Father's amazing, amazing forgiveness. Oh, we thank you so much for, Lord, who you are. Lord, we see uh, you're totally different than any other God that, you know, these false religions proclaim to have. You're a creator that's compassionate. You're a father that's forgiving. You're one who sees your people as lost. 
But then you find them. You're one who sees your people and, and we die. And I just can't imagine, and I know some people here can, what it would be, what it would be to have one of their children die. That's how you feel. But then when they come back, when they're alive again, you rejoice. Of course, we, it makes perfect sense to have found a son that was lost and to now have a son that was dead, alive again, Lord. And so I pray we would know this is your heart, this is why you came, this is why you died. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here today who has drifted away, who needs your return, that today would be the day they would come to their senses. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we pray now that as we partake of communion together, Lord, that you would just bless this time as we worship you, as we celebrate the cross. Lord, as we examine our own life and just ask you, how can you use me, Lord, to reach lost people? Who do you want me to talk to? What do you want me to do? Thank you so much for this time. May you bless our time of communion. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.